Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. For anyone who wants to make money and make a difference, grow and leverage your enterprise better, get more done in less time, outsource everything and create your ideal lifestyle. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here. Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur live video and audio podcast. So I have a message to people who are doing the mindfulness business, the barefoot entrepreneurs, the hippie kumbaya, dancing round a tree, singing, um, enlightened business people. You're allowed to make money. You've got to make money. You've got to sell. Don't think you can sit there and meditate all the millions. It's naive. It's delusional. I was interviewing Quentin Wilson, the uh, top gear for 12 years, the main man who started it with Jeremy Clarkson. And we we're having a good chat yesterday. I've just launched a podcast with him on. And he was talking about the power, the purpose of profit, that it's good to make money, that um, his kids aren't really taught about making money in schools, how it's quintessentially English and red brick and um, kind of uh, a faux pas and frowned upon to talk about money like there's something wrong with it. And like you can just do good and, you know, make everything healthy and kiss and love everyone and the money will come rolling in. And unfortunately, that's bad advice and it's a bit of a naive fantasy. Now, of course, you could have a great product. It could do good. You should do good. If you're not doing good, you'll get busted and found out. Um, But if you don't sell your product, get it out there, you know, show it to people, persist, beg, borrow, you know, do what you've got to do. To get your product seen by loads of people, your live feed videos, your podcasts, YouTube videos, no one's going to buy your stuff, no matter how good or healthy or wealthy or well-being-y it is. So I just want to tell you that A, it's okay to sell, because if what you've got is good and you sell it well, you win twice. And someone else is selling better than you with something that isn't as good as your product, and it's pissing you off. You're sitting there thinking, oh, you know, they're just giving it all the BS, they're selling a dream. You know, they're lying, they're exaggerating, where, where, look at them, and they're making all the money. And you're sitting there, getting all your ducks in a row, making all your products and services perfect, but scared to ask for the money. So, get out there, sell more, persist more, and don't sell out. So, the converse opposite of that is um, selling something that isn't good, selling something that isn't ready, selling something just so you can get money in to pay the bills. I was talking to Daley Thompson on Friday. We had sushi together and then I interviewed him for my podcast. And he got offered £350,000 to go on I'm a Celebrity, get me out of it. And I know he was thinking about it as I gave him my salmon teriyaki because that man eats. <laughs> We've still got massive guns. And um, he was eating the rest of my salmon teriyaki. And I could see in his face when he was telling it to me, he was like, ah, this is pain. I've turned away 350 grand. I could have done with that money. I want that money. Um, But he had a mentor, an American mentor, very famous person. And um, the American mentor said to him, would Muhammad Ali have done? I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Because if he wouldn't, you shouldn't. And I think he preserved his brand. He preserved his reputation. And here's the thing as well. Um, at the moment, when the, now this is a big decision, by the way, so I'm not, I'm not taking this lightly for you. Not, but, you know, you get offered something. You get offered a bit of money to sell yourself out and you get a bit of money. And you think, OK, there's the money. But what about the opportunity cost? 
I turned down The Secret Millionaire. I've turned down 30 or 40 BBC TV shows because I know they would have um, positioned and packaged me as an evil landlord. And I thought I thought that Secret Millionaire, I kind of if I'd have got in at that time, it, you know, I think I think it had, had its time and I don't think it necessarily would have been great for my brand because I would have you know been kind of last. So, you know, maybe they were bad decisions. Maybe they were good decisions. But the thing is. If you say yes to this opportunity and you know you're selling out and it's no, you know it's not your dream, but you're doing it for the money, what you do is you close opportunities over here. Because someone look, you know, because so many people who want sponsorships, endorsements by Daily Thompson would have looked at it and gone, oh, you know, he went on, I'm a celebrity, he sold himself out, I'm not interested in him. Uh, he's got his business, Daily Fitness, he does um, fitness retreats um, overseas. And, you know, maybe he wouldn't be doing all those with his business partners if he'd have done I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. So how do you sell but not sell out? Here's a few tips. Write them down. Give me a thumbs up or a smiley face or a shocked face or whatever symbol it is. uh, If you're enjoying this so far and I'll give you a few tips to sell but not sell out. Number one is you have to be clear on what you're doing and not doing. So, you know, are you a property investor? Are you an e-commerce business owner? Are you a public speaker? Are you, I don't know, an online course provider? What is it you do? And don't do everything else. Don't juggle Forex and internet marketing and some kind of bricks and mortar business and your job and a million other things. Because I used to do that in the early days. I used to think, well, I need money and I want opportunities and I don't want to turn down good opportunities. So if I do this, 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 I keep all the doors open on this and I can have opportunities on this, 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 this. Except someone looks at you and goes, you do this, 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 you do nothing because you have no idea what you're doing. So be clear on what you do. Then what you say yes to and no to is purely based on what you do and don't do. So Daily Thompson doesn't do I'm a celebrity, get me out of here because that's not what he is. And therefore he's able to say no. Even if he's turning down 350 grand. Okay, so um, don't just say yes to something because it looks like you can make money. Uh, And don't necessarily say no to it just because you don't see that you can make the immediate money if there's a long-term view. So um, people who are mentored by me pay minimum £25,000. You know, that's if they get the discount. And my minimum speaking engagement fee is £10,000. But every now and again, I may, for example, do a podcast interview. I did one on John Lee DeMasse's Entrepreneur on Fire, which is a big podcast. I did one on um, uh, Mindset with Muscle, Jamie Alderton. That's, you know, these are big podcasts. Now, I didn't get paid for those gigs uh, and I could charge the fee. But if I'd have charged them 10 grand, they may not have wanted to do it. But that, that's got me a lot of really good exposure. So sometimes I'll do stuff. Um, I did a, a video interview with an 11-year-old entrepreneur and I don't normally do video intros or intro, um, interviews or, you know, I might charge my fee, but I did it for him because I thought I could see something in that. So if I can see a long-term play, I'll maybe do it for free or waive my fee or, you know, think a bit, a bit for example, writing a book. You know, like writing a book takes a lot of time. It could take you a few hundred hours. Uh, uh, getting published, you know, you sell your rights, so you lose all your rights and you get 50p for every 10 quid instead of um, maybe four or five pound for every 10 quid. But if you see the long term play, so I sold my books, um, Life, Leverage and Money, the rights to my publisher, and they've already got me in Korea, they've got, they've got me in simple and complex chi- Chinese languages, etc. Now, okay, I'm only getting 50p on every book, so at least you know when you buy one of my books, you're not making me rich. <laughs> yeah, you're making the publisher rich. But uh, China, I mean, there's a billion people there, and that's a market I can't get into. I've never, you know, I've never infiltrated that market. 
So I'll take the less money for the longer term play. My podcast, for example. Um, I do not charge you for the podcast. Now, I've had loads of offers for ads on this podcast. I could do ads, two ads in the intro, two ads in the middle, two ads at the end, like a lot of the others. But they clearly need the money. I don't need the money because um, one of the reasons I do the podcast is because something I love to do because I've been financially free uh, through property and business. I retired at 29 and at 31, got bored both times, retired for less than two weeks, did my own head in, came out of retirement. So this is kind of like fun for me. It's a passion thing. So I don't sell a load of ads. I could be making tens of thousands of pounds, probably off every podcast episode. But I feel if I did that, and there are six ads on this video that you're watching and this podcast you're listening to, you think, oh, Rob's selling out. Rob's only doing it because he wants the cash. Now, by the way, if things go bad and there's loads of ads on my podcast, you know what's happened. I've sold out and needed the cash. Uh, but even if I did ads, though, I wouldn't do ads for bubble gum or um, toilet bleach. I'd do ads for things that are relevant to this podcast and you, the listener. So at least it adds value if I'm selling my soul. All right. So how to sell, uh, but not sell out. Have a clear vision. Um, persist on that vision. Don't give up in a week or a month or a year just because, you know, it doesn't quite work out or, you know, you, you don't quite make the money. You know, if, you, if you're not thinking 10 years, 20 years, into your business model and you're making decisions for 10 minutes instead of 10 years or 20 years, it's likely that you're not going to be doing it for very long. Um, Francis has said, if I email a lead for the first time, what angle should I take? Uh, I would probably try and find out, Francis, what it is that they want and what's most important to them, their values, if you like. Uh, Then you, because rather than selling something to someone who doesn't know you yet, find out what they want and wrap what you've got in terms of what they want. So if someone said to me, hey, Rob, I'm looking to get into property. And I said to them, what's most important to you in property? And then they said, uh, uh, security and freedom. Then my pitch for um, doing some kind of deal with them in property is that it creates security and freedom. Not ROI or not first charge, second charge, restriction, blah, 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 you know, um, adding value. It's just security and freedom. So it's probably going to take an average of seven to 10 touch points for someone to start spending good with you. Uh, And, you know, if if you're doing an email marketing campaign or lead gen campaign on Facebook and, you know, they've clicked a um, button and they're putting an email and they're going to get a report, uh, they're probably going to read the report. They're probably going to go on YouTube. They're going to do some research for you on Amazon and iTunes and podcasts and um, Facebook and Twitter and see if you've got all your profiles set up. They're going to, everyone's watching you, by the way. You know, you think that, um, you know, they're about to buy or not about to buy, but they're watching you and they're waiting for you to prove to them that you're trustworthy. So you want to make sure you get all of your online assets, your .com, your .co.uk, get in your podcast, get a book, get an audio book, get an ebook, get, you know, get yourself seen everywhere. So then they search you on all of these platforms. That's touch point two, touch point three, touch point four, touch point five, touch point six. They're able to research you without you selling to them. Then they read your report. Then they get a couple of emails. Then they go on your live feed video. Then they go on your webinar. Then they buy. So I wouldn't initially just email cold leads by saying, hey, buy my shit. Um, But I would find out what they want and try and package what you've got in terms of what they want. And Sam, hi. And I don't know what your little boy's name is, Sam. And sorry, I just said the S word. I was doing really good until then. Um, Tom said, any tips for selling experiences? Same thing, the outcome. So people will buy an experience with, I don't know, it's a, um, you know, an adrenaline rush or I don't know. Do you remember Red Letter Days that um, Rachel Elmore set up from Dragon's Den? People um, buy experiences for the outcome, the feeling, you know, the result. 
So um, there was a very, very famous marketer in the, one of the very early days that used an analogy that most direct response marketers reference, which is people don't buy the drill, they buy the hole. So um, a lot of people are selling, this is what you do, this is what you get, but what you sell is the outcome. This is how you'll feel afterwards. This is, you know, this is what it will do to you and for you. So, Tom, if you uh, interview or get feedback from people who've done your experiences that you sell and ask them how they felt and what impact it made on them and then get those phrases and sound bites and use that in your marketing and sales, that is what people buy. So, um, you know, like this, this is a, I think it's Valentino top. So these are like 400 quid. So, you know, saw me coming before you say it. So people don't buy a 400 quid polo shirt because, you know, it's a good, uh, well quality, good made piece of clothing or even this one so that you're not seen in the, um, in the, in the jungle. I buy this because I want a feeling. I want people to feel that I have discerning taste. I want other people who have this kind of money to notice this so that we've got some rapport and connection. I want this to feel good about myself because if I feel like I'm putting good clothes on, I feel better about myself. And yeah, I clearly didn't get enough attention as a child. Um, I was talking to Quentin Wilson yesterday on my podcast and he noticed uh, my watch and he said, oh, you're obviously a watch lover. And he had a single red Submariner on from 1971, I think it was. And we geeked out together on watches. And I, told, I, showed, I showed him a picture of my 79 Daytona that I'm wearing for my wedding. And he says, um, I told him what he bought it for and he reckons it's gone up 15 grand. And he was talking about um, some people he, he knows who are barons, who are wearing all these double reds and Daytonas and Paul Newman Daytonas and how they're, they've got like, this is, there's this little underworld. Now, wearing a Rolex isn't like, look, I've got an expensive watch. It's like, hey, you're like me. You have interests like me. You know, we, we, we've gone on a similar road on a parallel universe. We can cut all this rubbish. We have this in, inherent implicit trust because we both like good watches. So that's more about what you do selling experiences. Because obviously you can't say you're good. £10,000 a month more, you will, you know, you can't really do it what you get. It's what you feel. It's the outcome. It's the, um, you know, the, the, the ego sell, if you like, you know, selling me on making me feel important and loved and admired and, and feeling alive. So Tom, hopefully that helps. Wow, this has turned into like a major Q&A. So any risk in letting sales define your business? I think you balance it, Adam, because if you're just money, 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 then you forget why you started the value proposition, loving your customers and clients, creating great service, creating great experiences for your staff, um, you know, loving your staff, caring about your staff, making them. If you forget all of that and just like money, 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 bottom line, bottom line, bottom line. Now, let's thin all the expenses so we can improve the profit. Uh, let's not spend any money. Let's not do anything. It's all about profit. And let's draw all the profit and not reinvest it back. And, at the, you know, the business owner at the top, let's take all the money. If you're just money focused, your business will in the end. Look what, look what happened with Enron. You know, look what happens with some of the, the big capitalist corporate machines. Um, but if you don't have your mind on your money, you don't have any money left. You won't be able to get more money till you learn to manage what you already have. So I'd say it's a balance of managing sales, focusing on sales, selling, getting money in the bank, and making sure before and after you create your products and services and sell them, you design them well, you sell them, and you improve them with feedback. And then version two is designed a bit better, you sell it well and you improve it with feedback. Now Apple and Microsoft, this is what they've been doing, you know, since I'm, I'm recording on, I think an iPhone 6S, can't see, because I'm it's facing the wrong way. But they, they, the first one they launched, you know, it was a great phone, but it weren't anywhere near as good as the six or the 6S. So they started with something great, with disruptive, 
sold it like you know that like it was 1985 you know like they they like they didn't have a chance to sell it again really pushed all their heart and soul and passion behind it but then improved it so you balance selling with creating a great product selling again improving selling improving learn test tweak repeat learn test tweak repeat so hopefully that's useful, Adam. Yes, there is a risk in letting it all be numbers driven or sales driven. You know, if you look at the big companies, you know, if you I mean, even companies like Facebook, which are great companies, as soon as there's tens of billions pumped in and now it's all about shareholder value and hitting targets and growth targets, rather than the essence of the core product that started, those businesses can get ruined and lost their way. All right, let's have a look if we've got any other questions. I have an investor who would like me to deal source for him. He asked me if I have a service level agreement, but I don't know what it is. Can you please advise? Yeah, a service level agreement is basically terms of business. So if you don't have any terms of business, the best thing to do is type in service level agreement into Google, service level agreement, property investor, property service level agreement into Google and see if you can find some examples. Now you could go to a commercial lawyer, not a property lawyer, a commercial lawyer who deal with shareholder agreements, service level agreements, taking your head to terms and putting into a contract, etc. That will cost you money, but if you're looking to scale this business properly and it's a real business, it's worth doing that. We've spent tens and tens and tens of thousands over the years iterating our contracts, our agreements, our terms and conditions, because you create some terms and conditions, then you, you miss something that's important or one of your customers games your system and finds a way um, to kind of you know negate your terms and conditions. Then, then you go back to the lawyer, you give them the feedback, you improve it. So if you have a long-term view in this business, it probably is worth getting a commercial lawyer on that. Uh, but, you know, you could just send a, a, a branded document, PDF, two pages, service level agreement with your terms and conditions. You know, payment terms and, you know, what, what, what constitutes your service and, um, you know, the things that you're supposed to live up to and the things that they're supposed to live up to when they pay their deposit, when they pay the rest of their fee, etc. You know, what you're liable for and not liable for. Okay, Sam, Samantha. I don't know if it's Sam or Samantha. I think it's both, isn't it? How do you tell if someone is serious about buying from you? I'm thinking specifically about property investors. Are you not wasting time sourcing for people who have no intention of actually buying? All right. So, mm, good question. I've got a holistic view of this. Because I, I know a chap who um, has um, invested many millions with us, who for years I was just having nice conversations with him on the phone. And I didn't really have an outcome. But he kept saying he was going to do this when he's done this and he was going to invest when he sold his company and blah, blah, blah. And I built a really good friendship with him. But it, half of me thought, well, is this ever going to come to anything? But because I didn't dismiss it, it did. So sometimes just continuing a relationship with people and not pushing them into a sale if they're not ready, but keeping the relationship pays you dividends. Other times people are taking you for a ride and obviously just draining your time and resource. So if I ever get a sense that they're really draining my time, I'll test them. And I'll test them with, okay, so if you want X, here are my terms. And then you tell them your fee. So I get hundreds of messages a week on my various social media profiles. And hey, I'm not saying I'm a big guru because I'm sure there are others that get more. Um, and I can, you normally get an instinct and an intuition if you think people kind of just want to get all the free stuff off you. Now I have my own rules uh, and then I have a point at which I sort of push back a little bit. So. If I didn't answer the emails that were sent in and the messages that were sent to me, even though they're hundreds a week, then I'm kind of saying I don't respect and admire you as a follower and a fan and a listener of my work. Uh, and I think that's disrespectful. And it's people like you who watch and listen and share my stuff and buy my books 
who give me the life or part of what you do gives me the life because property does as well that I enjoy. So I would be very um, ungrateful to dismiss people. I and mean, there's, there's plenty of these big gurus who they just don't answer any of their stuff. And I just think, well, who do you think you are? Um, so I endeavour to answer every reply, request, email, and it is sometimes hundreds a week. But once I get the sense that, you know, I've given them some information and now they're just starting to try and open the floodgates and they want to come over the house and they want a free go on my missus as well. Then it's like, right, it's been great to speak with you. If you want to go from here, here is my fee and this is what you get. And of course, the time wasters, off they go. Now, when you say time wasters, they're not intentionally trying to waste your time. They're just trying to get free advice. Can't blame them for that. Sure, I did that in the past. So let's not, um, you know, let's not call it what it isn't. All it is, is them sort of, you know, you open the door, they're going to try and go in it. So number one, keep dialogue open. Number two, once you get to a point where you think, oh, okay, I need to test them now, test them by giving them a fee or some terms. Those that come back to you are obviously serious, those that don't aren't, and that's a way of pre-qualifying. For property investors, you need to check they've got the money. Now, legally, if you're going to do JVs, they need to be a sophisticated invest investor. If you look at FCA 134 3, it's kind of a bit confusing, but basically, you know, if someone's going to go into a joint venture with you, then uh, they need to be, it needs to be proven that they're a sophisticated investor or a high net worth. So you can say to someone at some point, hey, look, if we're going to do a JV together, I can't ask you for money and you need to prove that you're a sophisticated investor before we can even talk business. So if you could just send me a bank statement or some proof of funds first, then we can, you know, then we can start talking business. A, that's a great qualifier because if they haven't got the money, they'll just go. Two, you're doing it legally because some people are talking about JVs and actually, eh, maybe it's not that legal uh, uh, and then three, when they send the money, the funds, you know, they're serious. Then what you've got to do is you've got to find out what their values are and what they want. Because, you know, people don't give you money because you want the money because you need to finance this property and you need to, you know, build your portfolio. They don't give a shit about that. Well, they give you their money because they're inspired by you, because they can learn from you, because they want better than a 0.5% return in the bank, because they're looking for a better return, because inflation is eroding their money, because they love bricks and mortar, because they want security, because they want passive investments. All of those reasons are why people put money into your ventures, not reasons for you. So don't be careful not to go, I me, my, I need this, I'm desperate, I need the funds by X date. Find out what they want, find out their values, and then you can package it according to their needs. And by the way, that works as much as it could work every time without it working every time. It works every time. All right. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, and um, a message here from Kim. Rob, me and my business partner are sat in our gazebo cooking up some salt beef to sell to the public in Lancaster. We need to reach 70 today. Tips, please. What's your beef hashtag? <laughs> awesome. Um, I kind of want to be there now. Uh, that sounds uh, very delicious. So when you say we need to reach 70, um, do you mean 70 salt beef sandwiches that you need to sell? Well, um, marketing and sales are two different things. And sales is once people come to your salt beef gazebo, you know, you're happy, you're inspiring, you show them the passion that you've got the best salt beef sandwiches in the world, you upsell them a drink, you upsell them another sandwich, you upsell them extra cheese and blah, 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 and that's sales. So passion, enthusiasm, you know, you are the best salt beef seller in the world, and then the cross-selling of all the other products and services, that's one, that's two. But um, if sales is cross-selling them and inspiring them when they're buying your stuff, Marketing is getting them to your stall in the first place. So marketing is the most important thing. So even more important than everything I've just said is you've got to get your 
gazebo, your store, where everyone is. Because if he isn't, you can be, you know, you could be Mark Zuckerberg in terms of how you can sell your vision. But if no one's using your platform, then you got the money. So um, if get the get a great place. Then the next thing is you want to catch attention. So let's say you've got a great place. You've got someone making amazing sandwiches, showing their passion. You've got someone cross-selling all the other things, the drinks, the crisps, everything else. Then what you want to do is you want to get someone out where everyone is, stick a sandwich board on them, but take all your clothes off underneath or do something outrageously controversial and attract a load of attention. Get everyone interested in you. Then give them a bit of a special offer to follow you to your stand. So when we go and do the property shows, you know, the big exposition, expo, expos, um, at the Excel Center, um, we, we won't take the biggest booth, we'll take the smallest booth because, you know, a lot of people are doing this because it's a little bit of an ego off. So we'll take a very small booth in the corner, we'll make it really bright orange so it stands out. We'll go and do all the um, seminars and where most people just do a normal talk and that's it. Or they sell something expensive. We go somewhere in the middle, whereas we, we, we do a talk and we offer a free book and a free ticket to one of our events. Now, these normally cost quite a few hundred quid and free book and a free ticket um, but what the, everyone in the um, seminar room has to do is follow us from one end of the, sto- of the uh, show to the other. So it's literally like Pied Piper, like someone standing at the front, pl- front playing his piccolo and everyone walking in a line. And if you've got 70 people in the seminar uh, and they say, you say, like, right, follow me and you get free books and free CDs, you know, some, something, give something, some, something away for free and they'll love it. They'll follow you. And what we normally get is 70 people at the seminar. And by the time we get to our stall, we've got 120 people that want it. Because everyone else looks at it and goes, this is crazy. Um, everyone's running over there. Social proof. I'm going to run over there. So if you're going to attract attention, do something a bit different. Go and do it near the competitor stalls as well. Uh, and then offer something free, like 30% off your salt beef sandwich or second salt beef sandwich half price. You're going to give them a special deal. Bring them all over to your salt beef stand. Sell 170, not 70. And don't worry, I don't even want any commission for it. I just want you to do good, Kim. So hopefully that helps. So thanks for tuning in. I better go. I'm going to go and hang out with my daughter now and have some fun. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. And remember, tune in to the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast. Search iTunes or Stitcher, Disruptive Entrepreneur. Because I know many of you follow me on the video and on the Facebook pages, but you're not listening to the podcast. Listen to the podcast. I just interviewed Quentin Wilson, 12 years on Top Gear, I just interviewed Lady Thompson, the best decathlete in the world. I'm interviewing some amazing people. Some amazing people. Yeah, I said it in Italian. All right, and if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Thanks for tuning in. Rob again, stay with me here because I've got a gift for you. I get asked for these a lot and I thought, well, I'll, I'll leverage my time and yours and I will put these four things I get asked a lot into a free gift for you. So if you go to tiny.cc forward slash Rob's report, then what I've done is I've written for you an article on the top 21 apps I use to create the mobile lifestyle. I've written an article on the 14, my most favorite educational, inspirational, informative documentaries of the you know, most inspiring people in the world. I've written uh, which ones they are and a synopsis of each one. I'm very well known for having lots of very specific goals, detailed vision values. So I'm sharing with you my particular document I use, I PDF'd it for you. And also the fastest ways I know to make money for startup and scale up entrepreneurs. So I've written an article and a detailed report on each one. I've put them all into one 
and all you have to do is go to tiny.cc forward slash Rob's report. You get those for free. I'll never ask anything from you, spam. I'll never spam you, never sell to you. And then also once a week, I'll send you a new article or a new video content that's a bit different that maybe you wouldn't get normally from the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast. So I hope you find that useful. Remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.